Okay, so one of the negative things about having a podcast that's gone on for now the fourth year is that I don't 100% sure remember if I've told this story or not. I really don't know because I, you know, you know by now that I do a lot of talking. Um, I had a phone interview today where someone asked me a question and 20 minutes later I said, what was the question again? I just, I, you, you get that I talk. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so the story is this and it's, I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to cite it or source it, but as far as I know, it's pretty darn true. And that is, uh, the company wanted to see the impact on the number of choices <clears throat> had on people's make, taking action. So what they did is they set up a display at a grocery store and they showed 27 different kinds of jams and jellies and they had all sorts of flavors. They had apple butter and they had plum whiskey and strawberry and blueberry and boysenberry and blackberry and baba berry and billy berry and whoever knows. Bill Berry is my favorite REM member. Anyway, uh, that is a dumb joke. Um, and what happened was is people would walk up and go, oh wow, there's so many choices. I don't know which to choose. And then they actually started to freak out a little bit and to the point where since they didn't know what to choose, they wandered away. Not only did they not taste a sample of the jellies, they simply didn't buy the jellies or jams. The next day they came in, same kind of situation, except they showed three jams and jellies. And it turns out just giving people three choices dramatically increases the number of people who take samples and dramatically increases the amount of action being taken, i.e. people who bought jam and jelly. And that, of course, is... Um, somewhat counterfat or uh, counterintuitive to what you might think. We'd like choice, right? We live in, for the most part, most of us who are listening to this, somewhat democratic societies based on this concept that you are an individual and you are a human being and you are a, uh, an informed human being who gets to make an informed choice and God bless America, UK, Europe, wherever the heck you are. Uh, Canada, sure, let's loop them in too. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's part of who we are. Is, that's the bargain, right? That's, that's who we are as people. Except too much choice blows our minds, and too much choice is not good for the wiring inside our own individual monkey brains. And yet here we are. You want to talk about choice? You know, we're not talking about walking into a grocery store and trying to pick which fa- which kind of bottled water defines us, but to say when you're looking for a job and you go to one of those big old job boards, and sure, let's call it Indeed, um, or go to Google or wherever you go, and you say, "I'm I'm look I'm I'm a professional, whatever." right? Tree trimmer. Uh, and, you, and you Google those jobs and you look for the jobs and you're presented with any number of companies and jobs and spaces and opportunities. That is the same kind of reaction you make when you try to figure out how many jams and jellies you need to buy. And I think that's standard. And I think we've, there's a lot of stuff we need to unpack on this. We talk about because we think about candidates and we want to provide them with a choice and we want them to have a choice and we want them to feel like they have choices. But I guess we have to ask the question, why? And how does that serve us? And if it does serve us, how do we leverage it to really support what we're trying to do as employer brand professionals? So that's what we're going to talk about when we get back. Jams and jellies. I mean employer brand. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Talent Cast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis. And I've been doing employer brand for years now, and I absolutely love the industry. I love how it's growing. I love how it's changing. And I've tried to do my part to elevate the concept, to get everybody to understand the power employer brand can have in hiring, attracting, and retaining talent. So we try to really focus on driving home the idea that this is a calling and a craft. It's a lot of getting your hands dirty, but it's also a lot of big strategic thinking. And that's where we kind of live, that kind of uh, Venn diagram, the intersection between those the big ideas and the getting the details right. So we talk a lot about employer brand and how to do it right and how to think about it and how to look at your problems in a whole new way. Ready to rock? One, two, three, let's go.
Hey, how you doing, James Ellis? Uh, yeah, so um, this is the first official podcast as part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. So uh, I'm going to try and put a little pause in the middle where I try to remember to actually put a commercial, even though I don't think there's really a commercial this time. Uh, but there you go. Uh, so otherwise, if you have any interest in learning about the other podcasts, I know Chad and she's there, Jim Stroud's there. So uh, there you go. Those are some buddies and fellow podcasters of the HR recruitment, marketing, employer brand space. So there you go. So let's talk about choice. Um, the trick with choice is that it's very easy to overwhelm us. Our brains are wired right? Think about it. You look at your face, go in the mirror. No, come back. No, come back. <laughs> look at your face and you'll see that your eyes are very, very close together, right? They're relative to say like a gazelle. A gazelle's eyes are spaced on nearly opposite sides of their skull so they can have a very wide access. They can see a very wide view, a, a panoramic view of everything. Their job is to look across a wide spectrum for something. Human brains, much like other predators, are uh, focused much more on the front of their skull. They're there to identify a thing and focus on that thing. They're not about keeping a good eye on 17,000 things. They're really good at waiting for that one thing that they care about and jumping on it or hunting it or eating it or whatever it is. That's just how our brains are wired. And there's so many different kind of ex examples of how that works. I mean, I've, I know I've told the story of my friend who came back from Russia in the 90s who literally walked into a grocery store and was like this close to having a flat out panic attack in, of all places, the bread aisle. Now, it literally happened. Hey, Kristen, how you doing? It's a real story. It's not a made up story. She literally kind of freaked out. She went, "Oh my god, I forgot how many. I forgot how much choice we have." And, she, and I had to kind of pull her by the hand and say, "Let's go." And I kind of did the shopping. Too much choice blows our mind, and that's the thing: is that we live in a country in the U.S. where there's 18 to 20 million businesses. Uh, you want to tack in the rest of North America. You want to tack in Europe. You want to talk in, tack in uh, the fun places in, in Asia and Africa and South America. Sure, they're talking about tens and tens and tens of millions of companies. And given the state of the world and technology, you kind of can almost work for any single one of them. There's no reason that I in Chicago can't work in Mexico work for, for, or work for a company in Mexico or in Canada or in Netherlands. There's simply no reason. In fact, I am employed by a company based out of Sweden. No big deal. That's just how the world works these days. The fact that I'm in Chicago is an advantage to them, and that's why it makes sense to me. But I didn't say, show me Chicago jobs. I just said, let me think about what kind of job I want to have. <clears throat> now, for people who are talented and have skill and have the option to be selective, choice is semi-empowering, right? You want to say, I am a great nurse. I am a great electrician. I am a great front-end developer. I am a great UX uh, designer what have you. You're a great whatever it is. You're a great truck driver. You're a great whatever. In a, in a job in which being good at something is obviously better. If you're the best, I don't know, fry cook, I don't know that being the best fry cook gets you much if the fry cook's job is pretty well structured, if you just follow the rules, if you do it. But if your job is, has some level of what I lovingly and, and steal from Seth, Uncle Seth, um, the concept of work as art, where you're creating something that wasn't there, the value you bring can be very much determined on what you do. And so if you've got one of those jobs where if you are mediocre versus when you being great and there's a huge gap, there's a huge delta in value for that, great. You want to be great. That's fantastic. You're great at something. You can define what you're great at. Fantastic. You have choice. You have selectivity. Um, not everybody has that, so I'm just saying. I, I get that. And we're going to talk a bit about some more either entry-level or more, let's call them, semi-commoditized jobs in a minute. 
But this idea that you're talented and you're good at something and people want your talent. Not just want a cog, not just want a seat filler, they want your kind of talent. And you have options, you have companies you can work for. If one company sees your value and wants to hire you, chances are there's probably another company who could use you in value. Um, while I live in the employer brand space and it's a space where on any given day there's probably about a dozen open roles and that's about it, um, most jobs aren't like that. Most jobs are not as weirdly segmented as that. So there's options, there's choice, and you go to a big job board and you type in your job title and you get the the laundry list of companies who are looking for roles like that and they all seem to sound the same and they all seem to look the same and they are asking you to change your life based on meager data. They are asking you to change your life based on who in HR once wrote a job description, description, not posting, mind you, of the, what they thought the job was, and it was Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox, and it was slapped on a job board, and you're supposed to go, I get what this company's all about. Now, obviously, employer brand is all about making sure people understand or have a sense of what it might like to be to work there and as a positive or negative experience. So they can say, I'm able to make a choice, and that's great. But the truth is most of us face choice overload. We face too many choices. We face too many options. And a couple of things kind of start to fall apart when that happens. First off, the amount of stress about making a choice gets kind of crazy, right? If you're changing your life and you're offered meager data and you have to change your life, you're kind of saying, I'm flipping a coin to see what the rest of my life's going to be. Now, if you know that choice A leads to something and choice B leads to something and you have information that says, ah, one of these jobs is going to lead to stability and a long-term kind of low-level satisfaction, and one of these is going to be a bit more chaotic and dynamic, but there's a real opportunity for high levels of satisfaction, that's a more informed choice. But since most of these job postings are written roughly the same and most of these career sites look roughly the same and most of these recruiters say, ask the same kinds of questions and they all say the same kind of things and most, you know, I'm not gonna say EVPs, employer brands, but certainly a lot of the talking points tend to be the same thing. We have a great culture. We're here to make an impact. Um, you know, perks and benefits, same old, same old, same old. It's hard to make that choice. It's hard to know which direction do I move in when I don't have enough information, which leads to not just stress, but often paralysis. It leads to this idea of, well, if I don't know what I'm choosing on, why would I choose at all? Maybe the devil I know, i.e. the job I'm in, is better than the devil I don't know, which is why we keep talking about how important content marketing is and talking about the company and showing off the company and providing realistic and authentic, ding, 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 authentic, uh, authentic pictures and images and ideas and concepts and stories of the company and of the workload and of the role. That's why it's so useful because you're effectively trying to say in a choice between two options, one at base level, if one option gives you more information, you feel better about making any kind of choice at all. It's kind of like saying, you watch the uh, Let's Make a Deal. I'm a Monty Hall fan. Uh, what's his face? Wayne Brady does a fine job. But really, I, you know, I'm old, so I go Monty Hall. And they say, you can choose between the box and the door. And you choose the door. And then they show you, and you're, you're making choices based blindly. The box is small, but it could be stacked with $100 bills. The door is big, but it could be a rocking horse. You don't know. There's no information to give that says this is what the choice is going to be. But you choose the door, and so what they do is they reveal the box. And there is a pair of very lovely watches. Are they going to make you rich? No, but they're really nice watches. And then he does that thing. He goes, 
do you want to change your choice? Now that you know one of the options, you know crystal clear, this is what that job is. This is what that role is. It's a pair of watches. Do I like watches? Do I need watches? Can I sell those watches? What's the cash value of those watches? You have information on which you're making a decision. It's a one-sided partial information, but it's a lot more information than you had 30 seconds before they lifted that box. The choice there is simply having information. I'm not saying having information makes them choose you, but having information helps them feel better about making a choice at all. And that is not insubstantial. Go talk to a recruiter desperately polling and talking to and reaching out to candidates who say, well, I don't know enough about you. Or I'm not, there's no reason for me to make a move. That's really what you're trying to do. You're trying to say, make a choice, choose to leave, choose to leave, whether it's my company or some other company, get, make a choice. And you're asking them to make a choice and you're using very little information to do it. And here in a situation where if you can provide a lot of information about the company or a lot of information about the role and what, when you say good culture, what the heck does that actually mean? That's useful. It helps them make a choice but you're not winning the game. You're elevating your game because now you're encouraging people to make more choices, sometimes towards you and sometimes not. And I guess you could say a rising tide floats all boats and that's all great. But what you hope to happen, what you want to happen, and I find this to be very interesting, is this idea of you want people to make a choice that's informed. You're not offering them one choice. Do you want the box or do you not want the box? You know that if you could hire them and they, would be, and they would be interested in you, they would probably be interested in other companies too. You are not the only game in town, right? We all know that, right? Again, I can work in Mexico or Netherlands. I don't have to work in Chicago. Chicago is not the only place I can work, even if I'm in Chicago. There's infinite choices now. So when you, what you're really hoping for is not just to say, I'm going to step up and give you lots of information because if you give them lots of information, they're more inclined to make a choice. And I guess if you say 50-50 shot, it's with you or with somebody else, you're probably going to win. You're doing better. You're good. But there is a better. There is truly a, a, a nearly optimal outcome here, and that is that you show your hand and say, this is what the company is all about, and this is what our culture is all about, and this is what the role is like, and this is what it's going to feel like to do the role, and this is, hey, meet your boss. I know that sounds crazy, but it's really powerful. Um, what you're really hoping for is another company looking for the same kind of role, i.e. your competition. Mm, interesting. You're really hoping that they do it too. Now, I know... I may have just blown some of your minds. And honestly, I get that. I kind of was scratching my head at this one when I thought it to. I'm like, wait a second. And this is one of those things where as I'm walking down the path of logic, I start to go, wait, have I wandered into a funny spot? And I kind of have, but I can't talk my way out of it. I can't think around this. It might be true that the goal is to hopefully find a competitor with almost equal amounts of information about their employer brand. Now, the trick is... If you're providing information about your company and your brand and their experience of working there and their, and let's call them com competitor A, and their competitor A is providing similar information and it's very hard to choose, you haven't really changed much, right? You've gone from I'm choosing based on the label to I'm choosing based on the ingredients, but it turns out the ingredients are functionally the same. Hmm. But. <laughs> but. What if you presented a choice that you controlled. Meaning you didn't say, hey, 
we would love to hire you as an electrician or a nurse or a barber or a full stack developer or a UX designer. Instead of saying that, you should go look at other places to see where you could go, but maybe you should pick us. What if you said, hey, here's this other company that is hiring a similar kind of role and they've learned, and I've learned all this about their company and I hear good things about their company, but let me tell you about our company. And you actively put in front of them a forced choice. Now, if you are a sleight of hand aficionado, and I do not call myself an aficionado, but I do love me some, some Ricky Jay. And if you can watch that documentary or see any of his stuff, Ricky Jay is, a, is amazing. It's, you know, I'm sorry he's gone. But, um, but the idea of a sleight of hand is that you know, when you're, you're trying to get people to choose a card so that you, you're actually forcing them to make a choice. You're, you're, it's giving a forced choice. You're saying choose the queen or you're choosing the red card. You're forcing them into place because you're offering them a fake alternative. Turns out that when they spread that deck out, for, in many different ways, they're forcing you in a certain path. In a similar way, a recruiter can say, here's competitor A, they're looking to hire the same kind of job. Turns out, based on their Glassdoor scores, they're, they're hiring, uh, 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 I'm sorry, their uh, salary band is roughly the same as ours, but they're focused on ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. We, again, similar kind of job, similar kind of salary, are offering this and this and this. Very different choices, right? One might be stability and one might be dynamic, creative environment. One might be about leadership and one might be about um, status. One might be about ethics. One might be about customer responsibility. I don't know. You pick it. You got to figure it out for yourself, folks. I can't tell you what the answers are, mostly because I don't know. But if you force that choice on them, I wonder what would happen if you're if the recruiter says, "Hey," and imagine that. I mean, imagine the recruiter's life is mostly spent trying to figure out how to how do I stand out? How do I get my offer? How do I get my my pitch to just pay attention to me to stand out? If I'm trying to hire someone who's desired, if I'm trying to get hire someone who is 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 well well liked and well understood and, and, and are always getting hit by recruiters, how do I stand out in that environment? I bet offering them a job or offering them information about a different company might be something interesting. And I don't know how I'd word that. I mean, I'd have to play with that a bit, but there's this idea that, hey, as a full stack developer, UX designer, nurse, what have you, I know that you're talking to a lot of companies. I wanted to offer you a strange choice because I think I'd like to learn more about you. And I think one of the ways to learn more about you is to say, I found another job that isn't with our company. It's this company and they're offering this, 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 and this. And based on their employer brand, they seem to be all about this and this, which is very different from us. Well, because the salary might be the same, but we're really offering this and this and this. I wonder, which would you value more? I mean, just mind blowing. Just mind-blowing. The more I think about it, the more I go, this is potentially a thing because you're offering people a forced choice in a way that they can adapt, in a way they can absorb, in a way they can feel good about. Because what happens is when you have a lot of choices, and even when you make that choice, even when they choose you, even when they go to Indeed or Glassdoor or any other number of job, Google, whatever job boards, and they see your logo and they go, oh yeah, sure. I've heard of you, click, gonna learn more, gonna apply. The more choices you have, and it's a really funny math problem, the more choices you have meaning, means that when you choose one, 
you have more things you did not choose. If you're choosing between two things, it's a binary choice. You either choose A or B. And if you choose A, what you've, your opportunity cost, what you've lost, your FOMO, is all on B. But if your choices are A to Z and you choose A, you have FOMO on 25 other options, which simply from a mathematical standpoint is a lot more FOMO, is a lot more, gosh, I wonder if I had tried that. Oh, if only I had tried that other job. If only I had learned more. And suddenly that, 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 that lingering concern, dissatisfaction, uh, regret, ooh, there's a good word, of making the choice they made starts to like eat away at the foundation of their choice. It's like termites in a house. They're starting to weaken the timbers around which they've built the choice. They chose you because they thought they knew something about your company. They chose you because you had a good video. They chose you because the recruiter seemed to understand what you were all about and offered them good choices. But they knew that there were 25 other companies they could have. And the second, second something negative happens, their brain is naturally going to go and pick one of those other companies they did not choose and go, I wonder if this would have been the same there. Because truly, let us all embrace this idea that no job is perfect. Even Johnny Ives left. <laughs> and Lord knows he is probably as close to having a perfect job for the longest time as anybody I've ever heard of uh, who didn't know him flat out on the company. Um, but even he left. Even he got dissatisfied and decided to leave Apple and say, yeah, getting everything I wanted and having the biggest field in the world and having access to resources that most human beings could barely dream of, um, yeah, not enough. I want something else. Every job is work. That's why it's called work. Anyway, so I wonder if offering choices like this allows us to undercut and destroy all the things that choice makes complicated. That was a poor, that was a strange sentence I said. I realized as I said it, and that's peek inside my head, right? But, you know, when you ask people to make a choice, you have to understand choice logic, and you have to understand how people make choices. And it is very much a, okay, how do I know I'm choosing the right thing? How do I feel good about this choice? How do I feel good that I'm not messing, or I'm not missing something, or I'm not losing something or have not missed some sort of uncovered gem. To be fair, your hiring manager is doing the exact same thing, which is why when presented with an amazing candidate, they go, they say things like, that person's amazing. Can you show me anybody else? And you just want to kind of bang your head against the desk or maybe them. Um, I, but that's the thing. They're, they're having a fear of missing out. They're having the FOMO. They're having the regret. They're concerned. You've not given them enough choices. You know, that's the other side of the spectrum. If it was a jam and jelly store and it was just, we have one jelly, would you like to try it? People would be like, uh, okay. I mean, I don't know how much, I mean, I don't, haven't seen the, the data on that, the research on that. You know, yes, we know that 27 jellies and jams is too much. We know that three seems to be better. Have they tried four? Have they tried two? Have they tried five? Have they found the optimal number or did they just pick a number that was obviously smaller than 27? I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. And now we, add, we, we go, I want to go back to that other like, kind of thread I left behind, and that is, yes, we're talking about people who can make choice, who can be selective, who have opportunities because they're talented and their talent is obvious and their value of their talent is potentially obvious. What about more commoditized jobs? What about people working in a factory? What about people filling boxes and, and, and doing logistics and shipping and driving trucks and all that good stuff? How does choice change them? Because the truth is, and I, I literally just had a conversation, I think, Wednesday with someone who hired customer service people. And I went, that's one of the hardest gigs to do because every customer service job is 99% the same. 
whether it's at a massive company, whether it's at a little company, the job is the same. You wait for the phone to ring, you pick up the phone, you try to answer and help someone who's not having a great day, right? And eventually it wears on you. And these are people who are not very rarely ever seen as value centers. So consequently, the company looks at them as a cost and looks to squeeze their cost as much as they can because that's what companies do. They can't all be Zappos where they're expected to just hang on the phone and just make people happy no matter what it takes. That's a, that's a real outlier. Most customer service is just about how many cases can you close in an hour? How many people can you satisfy uh, or even just satisfy enough that they don't scream about you on LinkedIn or Twitter or, wh- or wherever or you know leave horrible reviews or close their accounts, right? That's the job. So how do you get people to make a choice when the choice, again, seems like flipping a coin? And that, again, it's where employer brand makes an impact. Because no, most consumer customer service jobs pay pretty much the same. And the perks, okay, there's a little wiggle there. But frankly, are you going to choose on snacks or no snacks? I hope you're not. I hope you're better than that. I hope you know you can do and be more than that. Um, I mean, there are people there for whom snacks is the end-all, be-all, and okay, great, good for you. Uh, And maybe planting your flag as the snacks-driven champion of a company and an industry is the best way to attract a kind of talent who just love snacks. And I haven't done the research on that, so I can't tell you how to answer that. But I think you can do more. I think you need to dive into your employer brand and say, look, if you're choosing between company A and company B of jobs that are functionally the same, you have to show them how the choice is different. You can make a straw man to say, and, and for those of you who don't know, it's a term that gets thrown around uh, on uh, news, radio, and uh, uh, political talk shows. And I want to make sure everybody understands what that term actually means because I think it's used wrong a lot. A straw man is the concept of if I'm going to make an argument, I'm going to make a counter argument that's crappy so I can defeat it. If I say Apple's the best phone because, and it beats Google because Google um, has too many O's in it, it's a crappy argument. But now, you can't. If I if I make the argument about who's got more O's in their in their in their, their, their brand name, Apple obviously wins. It doesn't have any O's to, to litter the, the company or litter the, the product. Right? It's a straw man. It's a crappy argument you put forth so that it can get knocked down very easily, thus making your own actual argument look stronger. It's a bullshit argument. It's called a fallacy on purpose. Uh, don't do it. But anyway, you can offer a kind of straw man. Maybe not so much a weak straw man, but truly a sense of look. Most jobs are most jobs. Consumer customer service jobs are a and B and C. And we know that if you're any good at what you do and if you have any care or passion about you or the people you're trying to help, it might be tough to find the company that actually appreciates that. Let me tell you about our company, right? You're presenting a kind of choice. And instead of saying, here's 20 different companies who also need customer service people, what you're saying is now you're lumping them all together and saying they're all mostly like this. Now, of course, you're going to pick and choose. You're not going to really make them look great. You're going to talk about long hours. You're going to talk about having to read from the script. You're going to have to talk about quotas and bonuses and blah, 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 blah. You have to offer something different. It doesn't have to be better per se because as we know, what's better to you is not always better to me, but you're offering them a real choice. And in a job where the role is functionally commodified, I wonder if offering someone a choice makes them feel more empowered and makes them inclined to choose you. I would love to kind of play with that and play that one out to see what that looks like. I think that there's a lot of opportunity to give people, to make them feel like, hey, 
you should choose this, but based on what? Or choose relative to who? But really offer them a real choice. Say, hey, most companies like this, we are different from most companies in these regards. And if this sounds like the sort of thing you like, this might be a great company you might want to work for, et cetera, et cetera. And I think a lot of people are doing that. I, I wonder how you measure that. I wonder how you balance that to say, does that work? Is that a strong strategy? Or is it just a good idea, um, which with no basis in fact, you're just, you know, hey, any strategy is a good strategy. Just get out there and talk. But that's that. But really, that's about that's it, it. It is really about making a choice and offering a choice, both to the hiring manager and to the candidate. What are you choosing on? And that's where employer brand really gets into the weeds and really gets into the guts of how this works by saying, if you had a framework of how people choose, you would figure out these are the notes you need to sing to make people choose. And I'm just now realizing I was supposed to pause at some point and drop in a commercial. I'm just going to have to do this organic or non-organically and just kind of insert it like an interstitial. I'm just going to have to get over that. And this is a tangent I'm not going to erase. This is just how my brain works. But I'm going to go back. So. If you're asking people to make a choice, the way you win that game is understanding how they're making choices. And this is where frameworks of thought of motivators really makes a difference. If you think people make a choice based on salary, you've said the game is salary. And as we talked about in an episode two or three episodes ago, salary is only important because it's the only information a candidate has that they can say, that seems fairly real where everything else seems like bullshit. Right? So we've made the game, we've optimized and over-indexed the game around the concept of salary. How much more salary can you offer? Oh, we, everybody wants higher salary. Of course, everyone wants higher salary, but do they want higher salary um, at the cost of burning the planet? Do they want a higher salary at the cost of having to move to a city they hate? Do they want a higher salary at the cost of having to commute two hours each way? No, except some people would say yes. So you can't just say it's about the number on the check because it's not. That's just ludicrous. We know that. But you need to offer them a choice on what matters to them. Is it the mission? Is it the ability to make an impact, which I think has been overused to the point of obsequiousness and uselessness, but that's a separate conversation. And frankly, that really should be an episode we do soon. But is it about the opportunity to do great work? Is it personal satisfaction? Is it the fact that your work gets seen by people, a little ego stroking, a little fame, a little status? Is it that you work for a company that other people like and other people uh, uh, respect and or uh, adore? That's another kind of status, right? Is it about a function of ethics? Do you feel like you've made ethical choices by being in this company? Is it mission? Is it impact, no, we did impact. Is it work-life balance? There's so many different things. And that's why having a good framework of what motivates people allows you to present options in a crystal clear way. What's interesting when you're creating, providing a choice, you're saying, here's two companies. Yeah, they're both hiring UX designers, but they're very different companies. But how do you compare to, how do you compare a 20-person agency with a five- thousand person manufacturing facility. They both need UX designers, but those jobs are going to be very different. Do you say one gives an impact? Well, no, I'm going to guess they both offer a kind of impact. You have to spell that out and you can't say they don't offer any impact. They're too big or they don't offer any impact. They're too small. What? That's impossible. That's the thing. Once you have a framework, it allows you to do something a lot closer to an apples to apples comparison. And that's not just for you in terms of how do I compare brands, but it's for them to say, when I'm making a choice, when I have near infinite choices, what am I basing my choice on? 
And until you understand what people are basing their choices on, how can you offer them good choices? How can you offer them this, hey, I found this other company you might consider, but it's very different. It's ba 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 ba. Here's our company. We offer the same kind of job, same kind of salary, same kind of framework. However, what we're all about is ba 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 ba. Which do you think you would be more attractive to you? If you're just naming ba 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 and not really saying what people care about, if you're just saying this one offers, uh, you know, if you go full straw man and you say this one offers ping pong tables and beer beer taps, yeah, you're not 22. Yeah, try again. And you offer a 401k and a long term that you're making a straw man. That's not really a good choice. But you can say, if you have a good framework, if you have a good model on how people choose, you can say, look, I'm literally trying to sell this other company's job, not half-heartedly. I really do think this is a very, very different kind of company. If you, this is the kind of company you would love to work for, I'm glad I can be the one to provide it for you because one, you'll respond to me. And two, I've built a relationship that yeah, I can tap into down the road. But those choices have to be different, not just on the surface different, not just it's got more O's in it than the other kind of choice, but really about what matters to people, which is why it's so important to kind of understand some of that choice architecture. And maybe we'll talk about that in a future episode. So there you go. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, nice little long one, 32 minutes. Um, this was a long one. This was interesting. I up, up until about two minutes before I started recording, I literally had no idea what I was going to talk about. So um, this turned out pretty well. If you enjoy this, please let me know. Feel free to review it. Thanks to all the dozens of people who keep reviewing us on iTunes and all those places. Thank you so much. We have like a four, five, four, six rating. We're doing pretty good. So... This is fantastic. I'm really hoping the uh, the whole Evergreen Podcast Network kind of expands the audience. But as always, I appreciate it when you listen and share. And if there's anything I can do to help, you just let me know. You can find me on Twitter at The War for Talent or LinkedIn or the website, thetalentcast.com, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if you do not already, and if this is the end of the podcast and you're still listening, you really should, I have a weekly newsletter. Just go to employerbrand.news, sign up, and it's just good information and keeps you sharp, that sort of thing, because apparently I just love talking about this stuff. So thanks so much for listening. I will talk to you next week. Bye. This has been an episode of The Talent Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with me, a couple ways to do that. Obviously, there's Twitter, at The War for Talent. You can go to the podcast website at thetalentcast.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the news of this industry and what's going on, just go to employerbrand.news and sign up for the email newsletter with lots of news and links to other places. If you just want to connect with me on LinkedIn, just say hello or let's just talk. That's linkedin.com slash in slash the war for talent. Or I bet if you just search for James Ellis, I pop up pretty quick. Otherwise, if you have any questions, concerns, considerations, ideas for podcasts, holler at me, let me know what's going on. Thank you if you've shared it. Please share if you haven't. Rate us, review us. I love all that stuff. It really does help kind of keep the message going and get the message out there. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week.